This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones. Do you know what today is? Yeah, it's Christmas still. It is still Christmas. There are 12 days of Christmas. If you if you only listen to Adam Sandler's song, showing off that there's seven days of Hanukkah and only one day of Christmas, Adam, there's 12 days of Christmas. It's still Christmas. But today, is, is as a Catholic, it is the feast day of St. Thomas Beckett, a hero and a martyr of freedom, a hero and a martyr of religious liberty. There was a beautiful proclamation today that our president um, published commemorating the life of St. Thomas Beckett. I'm going to put it in the show notes. So what I did is I invited Stephen Harriet on, one of my favorite Catholic commentators, and we each had a list of five people. There was some overlap who we wanted to nominate for the first annual St. Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Award. It's the end of the year. There are a lot of lists of great people. There is no better list of human greatness that you're going to read, no clickbait, nothing, that you're going to see, no, no, than this list right now. You've got to listen to the whole show because we saved the best for last, the winner. Uh, we named the winner last, right? And the winner is someone you need to know. And many of you may not know. Many of you may not know. All right? So the, the, the show is sponsored by the Vulnerable People Project. And the mission of the Vulnerable People Project is to stand in solidarity with the vulnerable. And that's what the St. Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Award is all about. You need to go to thegreatcampaign.org. And with your donation of $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book. Become a monthly donor. whatever you can do a month, and you can be assured that you are standing shoulder to shoulder with the greatest heroes in the world today, advancing the interests of the vulnerable through movies, through podcasts, through white papers, through legislation, uh, through articles. I will will put my article today on the plight of the Uyghur, my latest article at thestream.org in the show notes. Go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. All right, thank you. And this episode is also being brought to you by, you know it, MyPillow.com. There's some folks you forgot to get gifts for. Now is the time. Because if you go to MyPillow.com, you can get a pillow regularly $69.98 for $29.98. That's $40 of savings right there. And kings are only $5 more. Now is the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are a great gift. And some of you, you got some making up to do. So get it as a gift. Go to, um, oh, there's a 60-day warranty. You need to know that. You got the Giza Dream Sheets. You need those. The mattress topper, what are you waiting for? I am the biggest fan. If I had to, if I could only keep one, if if Mike came to my house and he said, I want my pillows back, I want my products back, I'd say, you can have it all. Just don't take my mattress topper. The mattress topper is the best. There's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square. You will find 
amazing offers and deep discounts. Don't forget, use the promo code Jones because this is the Jason Jones Show. Now on with the interview with Stephen Harriet as we go through our nominees for the Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Award. I keep wanting to say Thomas Moore. Those two are in the same file in my mind. The Thomas Beckett Person of the Year with Stephen Harriet on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Stephen Harriet. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. All right, so today is the 850th anniversary of the martyrdom of St. Thomas Beckett, a man who was martyred before the Magna Carta, the Glorious Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, but he stood for religious liberty. And um, so I thought, actually inspired by your tweet of President Trump's unbelievable proclamation on this, the 850th anniversary, that we needed to have our first annual St. Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Jason Jones show. Nice. And I thought nobody, there would be nobody better than you than to help me narrow down on the air who should be the first annual Jason Jones show St. Thomas Beckett Person of the Year award. Then Stephen Harriet, you work for Catholic Vote. You're a you're a you're one of my favorite writers. And now that John Zmirak's been kicked off Twitter, you have moved up to number one on my favorite uh, tweeter person, yeah. Twitter person. Yeah. I think you were behind Zmirak getting kicked off so you could move up in the charts. That was the plan. Yeah, yeah. So censorship, uh, censorship is good um, when you're behind it. So, right. I mean, generally when you, yeah, authoritarianism sounds, it sounds like a good deal if you can, you know, if you have your fingers in it. So, so that's you, my plan. You were the Henry II of that little... Fiasco. And, 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 and John Smirak was St. Thomas Beckett. Well, first of all. No, when John, Smirak, when John Smirak lost his Twitter, I tweeted right away, what is the point of Twitter without John Smirak? I saw that. And that's kind of, do you know how many people feel that way? John's, a lot. I was John, amazed. John Smirak is, to me, a sign of it. I don't want to say it that way. How should I put this? When I travel the world, seeing that John's my writing partner, you know, so many people come up to me and they say, you know John Zmirak? And I'm like, I've been talking to John Zmirak every day for over 10 years. He's effectively like my thesis advisor. I've been going to school for 10 years, over 10 years, and writing uh, two books now, three books, three and four with John. It's just, it's a great privilege. But it's sad that he's not a household name, right? Yeah, I mean, he kind of is in a lot of households. But yeah, I know what you mean. I was amazed though when he got booted from Twitter. I think a lot of people just shut down shop and got off Twitter. Like he was their main reason for being on Twitter. <laughs> people were saying that. Well, that's what I mean. Like John would be a household name if we could get some kind of, you know, maybe not. Maybe he would have been a household name in the 1920s or 30s. I just don't know for a illiterate enough people today for most people to appreciate John. I don't know. Well, I don't know. William F. Buckley was surprisingly popular. Maybe we could do a, a John's Mirac firing line, uh, put that up on. Convince NPR 
that to maintain their legitimacy and their their reputation for for uh, impartiality, they have to allow John Smirak to replace Card Hawk. Could you imagine how great John would be on something like a, a firing line? For those of you listening, you probably know John. If you don't, he's on Eric Metaxas. He's Eric's most popular guest. He writes for thestream.org. We wrote a few books together, and he's just witty. He's just really a funny guy. All right, let's bring it to Thomas Beckett. So tell us who Thomas Beckett is. Who is St. Thomas Beckett, and why are we celebrating his life today? Well, Thomas Beckett was, uh, was a martyr. I like the way you put it. He was before the Magna Carta, before, of course, the, you know, the, the founding documents we have for our own country. But his blood uh, seeded the ground for a lot of our thinking on religious liberty because he was such a phenomenal figure in, I guess you would call it, proto-pop culture. Um, there's a famous movie that I would recommend people watch called Beckett, simply, which tells his story, but um, we're talking about him today not only because he is celebrated by our Roman Catholic Church today in our liturgical calendar, but because our president, Donald Trump, went out of his way to declare uh, the 850th anniversary of Beckett's uh, martyrdom, which is today. And he declared it, he said, I encourage people to publicly mark this date as basically Thomas St. Thomas Beckett Day uh, in schools and in the public square and other ways. And the, the president wrote this very beautiful uh, declaration and issued it late last night uh, in honor of Thomas Beckett. And basically he says, this is a martyr who defied, uh, you know, King Henry II's intrusions into the, the, into the eternal realm, into the realm of the church the jurisdiction of the church. He defied them until the bishop, until, of course, the king famously said, well, no one rid me of this meddlesome priest. Uh, and his, the, the king's knights responded, took the hint, responded, and, and went. And uh, in the middle of liturgy, actually, interrupted St. Thomas Beckett while he was saying liturgy and uh, did him in. And so Thomas Beckett is this sort of emblem of religious liberty the rights of the church over against secular uh, 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 rights, you know, the rights of kings, the rights of states. Yeah, it really is, it, you can go all the way back to Antigone. It's sort of grounded in this understanding of not just the right of the church over the state, but the, the idea that there's a law above the laws of man. And so I would connect it. If you guys are going to watch Beckett, you should read Antigone as well. And I'm embarrassed to say, Stephen, I know, I mean, I've read Beckett, the play. I've, I've watched the film several times. And I think the, the writer's name was, I'm going to mispronounce it, but I think it's Jean Anouy. I don't know. Uh, but the writer of the play, uh, there have been several versions of Beckett written throughout the years, by the way, several plays and stories written about him. I've read a lot of them, maybe about a half a dozen of them. But really, that's all I know about. <laughs> I haven't read any sort of scholarly works or nonfiction works, so... Really what I know has come from, the pl from plays and, and from the film. But from the film, we're, we're told that, you know, he was very close friends with the king. Drinking buddies. Right. And, and woman, they, they like to go womanize together and drink together, right? I mean, that was, uh, they were very close friends. That's right. Yeah, and in the film, uh, it, it's very interesting. It's kind of a character study. You see the contrast between these two characters. It's not that Beckett was a 
a person of low character, but he was definitely a a man's man who hung around with the king and knew the pleasures of life, um, which gives you a good idea. I mean, that's a good kind of an important grounding for what he eventually becomes, which is this uh, this holy man, this saintly prince of the church, whose concern is primarily for souls. And there's this interesting moment, actually. His life is under threat, right? Because he's a thorn in the side of the king who's trying to overstep his power. And at one point, the men come to kill Beckett, right? One draws his sword, and Beckett immediately turns and booms at the man. Sheathe uh, your sword, sir, lest you impale your soul upon it. Because he's saying, you are a representative of secular power, and you're trying to kill a bishop. And what I represent as a bishop is, uh, is, is the body of Christ on earth. And I'm, it was just, it was an interesting moment because he's basically, even in that moment when he's under the knife being threatened uh, with murder, his primary concern is the soul of the soldier. You yeah. know, you're going to impale your soul if you do this. And I think really that, interesting stuff. And, and you wonder, would he have been so noble if he didn't love the king? Was his concern the soul of the king more than the realm? I don't know. I mean, he was also a proud Saxon. The king was the grandson or great-grandson of William the Conqueror. He was a Saxon. One of my favorite lines as an Anglo myself is uh, when, when Henry II says to Beckett, um, you Saxons make a habit of mocking your nobility. <laughs> and uh, and, mm. and uh, so I like that. So really, you know, where did Beckett come from? He came out of that Saxon culture and brought it to a point of crisis. And then from that, we get the Magna Carta and everything that comes from it. So we really do today directly benefit from the heroic courage of this man, Thomas Beckett, who was a real man. And what strikes me about the play and sort of, and maybe we can get to our list of who we pick, but when you're a person of influence, a lot of the people you're colliding with or you have your big disagreements with are friends, like lifelong friends. And so it's one thing to stand up to a power, a distant sort of anonymous power or state. It's another thing to stand up to your friend. And that's what Beckett was doing. He was, he was standing up to not only a tyrannical authority, but to a person that he loved. And I think we're going to yeah. see in a lot of our, and in my list, there are going to be people that, that have to do that as well. Uh, and I think that's the most heroic thing. Um, yeah, I think I think there's that, and then and, and the other the other thing is the it, it related to that directly is that Beckett had the option of just cooling his heels, like he didn't have to to, to antagonize the king, and he could have just by toning it down a little, he could have changed all of history or sorry, failed to change all of history. President Trump in his proclamation today actually says the death of Beckett shaped history, world history. And it did, uh, as we've been saying. But he didn't have to, like, it's not like the church would have gone immediately extinct or you would have seen massive bloodbaths of Beckett's co-religionists if he hadn't made his stand. You see what I'm saying? He could have, and, and in, the, in the play, you have the king just saying, come on, just, come, why don't you just hang out? Why don't, like, well, let's be buddies like we always were. And like 
Beckett could have just said, okay, we'll make a few adjustments. I know the king is overstepping his bounds, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. And that's kind of like what we see today, actually. Um, I was just reading today, uh, I read your article just now on, um, on China, and we have Cardinal uh, Perelin uh, of the, you know, the Vatican Secretary of State. He even uses some language that's suggestive of, of that option that Beckett didn't take, where he's like, he told the Catholic News Agency, you know, with China, our current interest is to normalize the life of the church as much as possible. Just, we want... We want to ensure that the church in China can live a normal life. And that includes re- maintaining relations with the Holy See, as well as with the CCP. And being silent on jump. the biggest genocide of the 21st century. Yeah, that's but it would all. be easy. That's all. That's all yeah, we have yeah. to do. Do you know, and, and when you, just when you said that, what rang in my mind is one of my favorite speeches from the Reverend Martin Luther King. It's, uh, he gave a speech People forget he was not popular, not popular in the white church, not popular in most of the black churches. He was seen as a troublemaker, a rabble rouser, somebody who was causing more harm than good. And he was called maladjusted. And they would say, don't bring that Martin Luther King to your church. He's maladjusted. And so the Reverend Martin Luther King gave a speech and he said, you will hear them say that I am maladjusted. I am maladjusted. And I will be maladjusted until our world ceases to be so well-adjusted to oppression, to violence, to cruelty. And we are called to be maladjusted to this world, right? And so many times we're adjusted. I'm adjusted, right? On every Saturday night when I'm watching UFC, drinking a shiner, I'm Um, (laughs) well-adjusted. But there comes a point, right? There must come a point where we're like, you know what? I can go this far, even of risking my own soul. I say, I say to my wife, I said, thank God the world's not a better place because I'd be living above a bar in Costa Rica reeking of tequila. That's what would be happening because I, I feel it's easier in maybe this age of the sin of presumption to, to, to really roll the dice with my own well-being. But then there comes a point where you're like, that is a bridge too far. I cannot be quiet about that. I cannot be quiet about organ harvesting of innocent human beings in mass. I cannot be quiet about the products that are in my home made by slave labor. I would like to spend all of my time doing Muay Thai, taking my kids to swimming, drinking Shiner, coaching high school football. This would be my dream life. But there comes a point, right? And I think guys like Thomas Beckett or Franz Jägerstadter, uh, blessed from Austria, the farmer, sort of, you know, he seemed to be that kind of guy too, that, you know, he was comfortable being conformed to the world in a lot of ways. He just will not, could not, and would not sign a loyalty oath to Hitler. And they offered him his life right. back, offered him, just go back to your farm, live happily ever after. You good little Aryan yeah. farmer, you. Go back to your beautiful wife and your daughters. And he said, yeah. there's a great scene. I know you haven't seen it. We've talked about it a lot. But there's a great scene in the film where an SS officer asks him, do you think you, who was Catholic, by the way, the officer, do you think you have the right not to sign this oath? And then Franz says, he thinks about it. And he says, do you think I have the right to sign it? And that was it. Mm-hmm. He knew he did not have the right to sign it. Beckett knew he did not have the right 
to be silent even in the face of power, even in the face of a beloved friend. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you know why they don't have the right is because it's not, I mean, it's so funny. There's this false humility that you'll hear. Uh, I mean, I've heard it preached from the pulpit probably most of my life. There's this brand of Christianity I was just talking to my pastor about last night that basically said, hey, we follow Jesus. And Jesus is a person who submitted to everything and never showed. And our religion is all about um, quenching any impulse you might have to assertiveness or spiritedness or courage. And and that's a really poisonous uh, falsification for, uh, of, of, our, of our faith, because basically what it means is it's this false humility that says, hey, Beckett, what difference do you make? You're just one guy. You know, or, 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 or Franz uh, Jägerstadt or whatever his name was. You're just one guy. What, what difference does it make whether you sign this? Okay, you have a wife and kids, right? Or you have a life. Just keep on, keep it on. You don't really make it. The buck doesn't stop with with you. Who do you think you are? You know, and it's, that's false humility. It, it's just a relief of the responsibility. What you and the proper response is: I don't have the right to give up because the buck does have to stop somewhere, and other people are going to. It's not just about me. You know, it's amazing. You, I'm so glad you didn't see the film because it's it's really the the Nazis escalate the threats to Franz. And there's this Uh. scene where he is finally in a death camp waiting to go. And and he has to sign this document. They, I mean, they give him the document Uh. to sign saying that he'll, the loyalty oath right there, his last chance and they won't kill him. And they say, nobody will ever know what, if you sign Mm -hmm. it, no one will ever know what difference does it make? That's in its darkened building in the, in the, in the, in a death camp. And you know, the truth is if he signed it, here's the deal. Nobody would ever know, but Mm -hmm. he didn't sign it. And the world knows that interesting. Mm -hmm. If he signed it, the world would have never known. He would have went back to his farm in Austria. So many people signed. Countless thousands signed, right? But yet, this yeah. one man didn't. Beckett, by God's grace, um, how many other people had been in positions to to improve to improve the lives of their posterity, but just signed on the dotted line, and no one ever knows. Yeah. You know, no one thinks less of them. No one ever knew. That's true. We wouldn't know who Beckett was if he had. We would have no, no one would know who Beckett was if he had just uh, conformed. And it wouldn't have been a big deal. For him personally, he would have been an unimportant person. He wouldn't, I, I mean, I don't think we would even condemn him. We would think nothing of him. Kind of like, you know, it reminds me of Dante's depiction of tepid souls who are, they don't even go to hell. They're just sort of floating around in the ante room. Yeah, so what is that? <laughs> the first death is when you die physically. The second death is when everyone who knew you died. And the third death is when your name is never remembered. Thomas Beckett will never mm-hmm. have a third death in the history of the human family. He'll never have a right. he'll never have a third death. But of course, that's not even the important nope. thing. We're not talking about Cleos or honor, like pagans. We're we're talking about fidelity to a truth above power. 
All right, so who who is your list of uh, for the two thousand the first annual uh, Jason Jones Show uh, Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Award? Who who's give us give me can you give me five names? Yeah, well, my first nomination is Father James Martin S.J. for standing in solidarity. <laughs> yeah, we lost the connection. The We've lost the connection. We lost. You. Okay, <laughs> James Martin, yeah, real hero. Standing with the gods of the city always takes courage. He's standing in solidarity with the DNC against, you know, the fury of my wife. (laughs) No, you know what? That's true. Okay, that's true. That's true. (laughs) No, no, but I I do have some candidates, and and I love that idea. I love the idea of the Jason Jones Show Beckett Award because there are so many inspiring – this is going to be inspiring to go through just a list of people to consider – these are people, by the way, all of these names, Google them and look them up. They will grant you so much inspiration and make your life so much more meaningful. Um, oh, that's true. And, and Yeah. And, and at the top of my list is, uh, of course, Cardinal Joseph Zen, um, who's named, President Trump named him in his proclamation in honor of Thomas Beckett's martyrdom. Now, Joseph Zen has not been martyred, but he's, he's shown himself willing to be if necessary. Yes. Uh, and he has faced not only the fury of the CCP on the one hand, and by the way, the, the, the absolutely mournful and terrifying uh, uh, imprisonment and, and death of many of his flock. He, he, he's seeing that. So that's weighing on him. But he's also, on the other hand, faced a lot of just coldness uh, from the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. And, um, you know, he, he sometimes must feel he doesn't have a friend in the world, but he has the communion of saints. And uh, God willing, he has you and me and, and, and all of the faithful who should look him up again. Google him. Cardinal Joseph Zen. Yeah, that's yeah. that. That's a great pick. So you got Cardinal Zen. Now, do you want to give your five and I give my five or do you want to go one for one? One for one. OK, so you give Cardinal Joseph Zen. I will say. The first name that came to my mind was Prime Minister in Exile of East Turkestan, Salih Hudaya. Salih Hudaya is a young man living in the United States. The, the Uyghur had an, uh, an election. He ran knowing, knowing full well the risks that it would, it would place on himself. But even more uh, sorrowfully, my friend said I use certain pet words on the show all the time. <laughs> He's like, you need to find a synonym for sorrowful and ham-fisted. But those are two words I use a lot. But... You know, the, the hardest part of this is when you have family and friends in East Turkestan, to stand up in a real way puts them at risk. And that is yeah. an unimaginable sort of pain. And several people on my list are in that same predicament. So I would say Sali Hadaya because he's tireless, he's courageous, he's standing up against the, the, the biggest, most violent menace in the world today, the CCP. Uh, so that's my first pick, Sali Hadaya. Well, you took from that was that was he was on my list, so now I don't have five anymore. But well, you okay? So you second <laughs> that, so we're probably going to have some crossover, right? So you second yeah, well, side. Yeah, what it means is if we, both, if we both pick the same name, that means that person already has a leg up over the others. I already know who I want to win, and seeing that I'm the host of the show, my guy's going to win. I just I'm going to tell you now. Oh. But but this is kind <laughs> of like a sham CCP. Ele- I'm going to make you think you're participating in this. But I think my guy is the guy, and I'm going to make my case for it. But you can make your case for number one. My participation in this is no more valuable than my vote for Trump. Is that what you're telling me? It's just your Twitter account, my man. 
<laughs> so I would say on my list also, I'm taking Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. Um, and uh, this is a guy who uh, he, uh, people don't understand. I don't think, I think that there's a sort of chattering class in the Catholic media that bury uh, Archbishop Vigano. Um, they kind of try to cartoonize him, make him seem silly. But his primary reason for being a household name in the church now, after all, is whistleblowing against sexual abuse. And people forget that, right? Now, he's gone on to be a commentator against all kinds of evil, including, by the way, the Great Reset, which is awesome. Who do you hear in the church? Look around. Who do you see speaking boldly against the Great Reset? No, they're actually the, the Pope is advocating for the Great, great Reset. You're right. So by right. the way, the v- tweeted Bill. So now we're even because Vigano is on my list as well, uh, for all of, oh. uh, all of the reasons you said. Um, yeah. Also, like Prime Minister Hidaya, I have met everyone on my list except for one person, which is a great privilege. I had the privilege of of um, of having lunch with Vigano, like ten years wow. ago. Wow. Yeah, or longer. Yeah, it was a great privilege. Right. And, um, you know, at the time, I was told he was a great and heroic man. I had no, I really didn't appreciate it at the time. I guess history didn't give him an opportunity yet to stand up. You know, one of the interesting things is he's the whistleblower, and he was literally scapegoated for the whole McCarrick mess because he didn't yell loud enough. (laughs) Like, come on. He was not the people that stonewalled him, not the people that ignored him, not Pope Francis that sent McCarrick to China to strike a deal dooming a billion people. No, no. The whistleblower didn't blow his whistle loud enough. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's, uh, it's, it's grotesque. And and the funny thing is that you hear that in the most polite circles. I've only heard that from the most civilized people I've met. Yeah, I and don't... it's an absolutely beautiful thing to say. Well, the, you know what, but, yeah. what Nietzsche said about the English—they only they act civilized because really, there's just beneath the thin veneer is they're pure barbarians. Um, <laughs> I feel I, that, I feel that way about nice people. I think nice yeah. people are the most dangerous people you will ever meet. God forbid. Whenever I meet a nice person, I know I do not want to be in a foxhole with this guy. They're nice. Nice people are dangerous. Polite society is very dangerous. The beautiful people are dangerous. You yeah. Know? You know, if you wear a tuxedo no, more than four times a year to go to these events, you're dangerous. Check yourself. You look at yourself. Yeah. Do a little spiritual. Because if you keep getting invited, it means you fit. <laughs> and if you That's fit, a great if you fit, you're you're dangerous. You think you think you think people like Vigano are dangerous. You think, uh, you know, no, nah, you're you're the dangerous one. You're scary. They scare me. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. It's funny. My my pastor, he's uh, he's divisive. It's been said, um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's so funny. I, I mean, I try to reassure him, and I, I I've told him, you know, in my experience, the most divisive people I've met are people who talk against divisiveness a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, what, they, anyway. what they are is they're the, um, 
they are the police. They are the cop who they are the cop who breaking police. They're the ones that make sure you don't disobey the gods of the city. You you know, so we can be as normal as possible. Just, you know, as Gerard would yeah. say, just let us kill the scapegoat so things can go back to normal. The person's like, no, no, there'll be no killing of a scapegoat here. You're ensuring that there will that there will disunity will continue, and so they just want you to right. they just want the virgin to be thrown in the volcano, and then we can all go back to normal. Yeah, I, normal. Who, who you normal? Now, who is your? No, okay. So we're now we're we've got we've given four names, but really only two, three. So yeah, Cardinal Zan, uh, Sully Hudaya, Archbishop Bigano. I'd like to add to the list, and you might think this is a weird one, but I'd like to add to the list Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler. Um, you know, it, 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 he's a good reminder, actually, because people might look at him and say, what are you talking about? He's not that brave. He's just a guy who's, you know, on social media a lot, and, and he's kind of a right winger or something. But the thing is, he's an American prelate. And he is willing to be ostracized by fellow bishops, ridiculed in the secular media, and even in the Catholic media, often, um, by saying things like, you know, speaking against, for example, unethical production of vaccines, um, you know, uh, cover-ups. He was, he was on the side of, of Vigano when a lot of other bishops were turning on him. And the thing is, as an American prelate, this is a guy who's fighting for the maintenance of the liberties we have in this country, upon which the liberties of the whole world depend, according to John Paul II. So that's why I would submit his name. Yeah, and Vigano. Vigano said that if we lose America, the world collapses into a war of all against yeah. all. So Strickland was on my yeah, list, I, neck and neck with Vigano, and I had to ask myself, who has more at risk and who is suffering more? And I thought, mm. so kind of what you said. You know, he's in the heart of Texas. I love Bishop Strickland. In fact, he's the first tweet I usually retweet every morning. First thing I do is look at it, and he's pretty prolific on Twitter. Very brave, very yeah. grounded. And you know, because I think, uh, you know, he is a bit imprudent. Some, no, I wouldn't say imprudent. I could see how people would say he's imprudent sometimes with his tweets. That tells me this is a man <laughs> driven by love. He's thinking about the other, not about what people perceive of themselves. There's certain bishops like Bishop Barron. You know there's a team of people. He talks about it. There's a team of people working on his messaging, professional photographers taking pictures of him that he will put up on his social media as if they're just, you know, candid shots. Everything is very thought out, which tells me Bishop Barron is very much more concerned about how we see him than he is concerned about us. With Strickland, mm. I see a guy like a quick draw McGraw on that Twitter, like an Andrew Breitbart. He thinks it, he tweets it. I don't see a staff of people saying, don't say this, don't say that. It's said. Right. right. And that's very courageous. No, right. Very, and, and, it driven, and it tells me he's a love of the other, a love of us. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's right. That is a good pick. All right. I'm guessing, so you, I'm gonna, my next pick you're going to think is strange, but I just wrote the names I thought on a piece of paper and I said, I'm going to whittle him down. The next one mm -hmm. is President Trump. Ooh. Now let me explain. This is a man who has exposed himself, his wife, and his children 
to the most vicious calumny the world has ever known. And for no, mm-hmm. <clears throat> no personal benefit. You know, I don't see what Donald Trump is getting out of this. There's nothing he needed, nothing. You know, he was popular with the world until he announced that he wanted to run for office and as a Republican. Mm-hmm. This is a man who could have run for a Democrat as a, as, a, as a senator, as run as a Democrat for Senate in the 90s and the 2000s in New York. And all of the people that are spreading all of this vicious calumny against him would have been for him. So mm-hmm. he, he exposed himself to a type of violence and assassination like we have never seen before, the assassination of reputation. And uh, so yeah. that's why I put Trump on there. And and for life, you know, he has alienated the gods of the city by being anti-war, being pro-life. If he had sold the pro-lifers down the river, if he would have aligned himself with the war hawks, he could have, quote unquote, normalized his administration pretty darn quick. Yeah. But he didn't do those things. He didn't do those That's things. Right. He stayed faithful to the things that meant the most to him and uh, peace, life, and prosperity. He he fought for the working class. So that's why I also put Trump on the list. Yeah, and let's keep in mind, I mean, that's also, I'm glad you mentioned that and brought him onto the list because it's good to, to remind ourselves on a regular basis that what Trump represents is not a privileged position. And we forget that because he is in the White House. So we tend to think, oh, he's the government, he's in power, right? So you can't whine about being marginalized if you support this guy. Well, that's not quite true. Do you think anyone who produces blockbuster films is a huge Trump fan? Uh, or who, uh, you know, forms the, the minds of a majority of young people in colleges, or who runs any of the major centers of economic or, you know, corporate power, or the media. Trump, Trump, what he represents is not the position of power. He made a decision early on when he announced for office that he was going to represent a bunch of people who have um, no representation otherwise or very little in the halls of power and influence. And that was a really courageous decision on his part. Yeah, and look, we live in a constitutional republic, but the re- the reality is there's a very powerful oligarchy that controls yeah. almost everything. And that's why I think he ran to take on that oligarchy. Hence why they say he's fomenting some sort of coup. The coup is representing the people against an unelected transnational oligarchy that that tells us how to think, how to vote, and can savage anyone. They can destroy anyone's reputation. We've seen it with people like Ellen. If they target you, they'll 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 destroy you. It doesn't matter who. They'll build you up. They'll take you down. And um, yeah, they did. They they'll try. And then the other thing is that you have these cracks in their armor that I really love. One example of which would be uh, Kanye West, uh, where they they tried to give him they tried to give him the Ron Paul treatment and just erase him, and it didn't quite work because he's just too talented and too well-liked. Uh, and I'm hoping the same goes for Trump. Actually, a Gallup poll just came out today. Trump, according to Gallup, just today, the most admired man of 2020, which explains why uh, Biden, who, by the way, was, was one-third as admired as Trump, according to the same poll, uh, won 
against him in the election. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. We believe that. No, you know, and that goes to prove something I always say. The book I most despise, and when people recommend it to me, I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Get it, that book away from me. It's Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I call it How to Win Acquaintances and Influence No One, or How hmm. to Leverage Friendships to Sell Crap, right? How to make someone think you're their friend so you can sell them something or leverage them for personal promotion. No, like how you win friends, true friends, is by being authentic, by being honest, um, by being, um, what was it, with not being nice. No one, you know, whenever someone introduces me as nice to someone, oh, this is Jason's really nice guy, I, I assume they really don't like me at all and don't see any virtues in me. Like this person does, has not <laughs> seen anything of me. They have no virtues uh, because they described me as nice, which is, what does that even mean? Um, so Donald Trump's life has been, whatever Dale Carnegie said to do in his little book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Donald Trump has not done that, right? No, no, he's not obeying. But he's not obeying those rules. He's his, his you know, and, and in many ways he is because I think he's animated by a rich personalism. If you've ever been to his businesses, a real respect for us as customers. Like you know, you go to the Trump Hotel, the manager, the manager, the big manager of the Trump Hotel sets up shop right there in the lobby at a little table with his water and his laptop open, answering emails. And any guest could at any moment interrupt him. He remembers everyone by name. And I think that's something that comes down from Trump. And that's a rich personalism. We want to honor and, and respect people as who they are. But we don't want mm -hmm. to sort of do this thin veneer of manipulation. And look, Trump, everyone says, oh, we don't like what he says. Yet, he's the most revered person. What did the study say he was the most revered person in America today? Yeah, the most, uh, I think it was the most Respected. Most admired. Most admired. Yeah, there you have it. Okay, so that's my guy, Trump. And now who do you have next? Um, well, I you might get mad at me for this. Uh -oh. But I have a soft for Steve Bannon. Um, because why, why, like, why would I get mad at, you, mad at you for that? He was on my – he was on my he, – he made the big list of like 15 <laughs> names but not the final list. Yeah, but I mean, he's so uh, he's so mischievous, you know. It's like um, he's sort of like a he's sort of like a, a almost like a Bugs Bunny character, where he just runs circles around about around the galumphing uh, Elmer Fudd <laughs> and always wins. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I like I like him. I don't know about his faith life, and it might sound odd to compare him to a martyr saint. Is the only thing. But well, um, well he's you done a lot of good. And, well, yeah. you you placed the article I wrote, the John's, uh, the, the, John's, the Steve Bannon I know. You you placed that at Catholic Vote. Do you remember that article? Yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's a man that's been deeply formed by his faith, and um, you know, he's a friend of mine, a, a good friend. And I uh, I can tell you now, he is. Um, I don't know how regular he is with mass attendance. I I should check into that, you know. But uh, I, I'll say this: this man. God is present for Steve Bannon all the time. Hmm. I have friends that are priests who I can't say that about. Hmm. But I can say this about Steve Bannon, that he is mindful of his creator at all times. By the way, I think, I, I think about God all day, every day. I don't know. Do you? 
I think you do. Uh, I, I, I would say, I would I, say, so my friend Stephen, God is always present in Stephen Harriet's mind. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, it, 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 some people would call that uh, scrupulosity, but yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> no, I don't think it is scrupulous because I, I think about God when I'm sinning. <laughs> You know, you cut me off in traffic. I give you the bird. And as I'm giving you the bird, I'm thinking about how God is thinking about me at that moment. So I'm not scrupulous. But I'm just saying that even in my sins, I am thoughtful of God. And uh, I I would say that about Steve Bannon, for sure. Nice. Which doesn't mean he's out of the... But it's true. It, it doesn't. No, again, it doesn't off, mean what now? It doesn't it, mean what now? Just kidding. I said it doesn't mean he's off the hook. But no, it's true. funny you just said you think of God. And I was thinking I think of God especially when I'm sinning. <laughs> right. But, um, but no, I mean the reason I think Steve can make the list is it, it, he's a guy who, again, he has no regard. You know, put it this way: if King Henry the Second comes to Steve Bannon and puts pressure on him, uh, is Steve Bannon going to buckle? Or is he going to think, you know, he's probably going to say in, in language a little too colorful for a 1950s movie, uh, no. Right? Well, we're seeing it. They, they You know, they arrested him. They, they tried to embarrass him. Uh, so we've yeah. seen that he, he, did, he did not buckle. I think, no, I think, and, and there right. are real costs. So when I was looking at this list, this is why Trump's not going to win for me. He's not going to be the winner this year. Is I don't think... The costs are as high for him as they are for other people on the list, like Sally Hudaya, for example, or Cardinal Zen, or even or even Steve Bannon. So I think Steve Bannon is a good pick. So, so my next pick is I think she might be on your list, um, but is Tulsi Gabbard? Mm. That was not an. I approval. like it. Oh, you like it? Okay, it mm, didn't sound like an approval. So. The reason why Tulsi's on the list is, first of all, heroic her her courage. Like she went to Syria to investigate the use of chemical weapons in a very dangerous place at a very important time to stop a war. She has since come out with very strong pro life legislation. Um, you know, I disagree with her a lot on some of this COVID stuff, but she's a, a person who I I know, and she's a friend of mine that she will do what she thinks to be right, even where I disagree with her. And she wrestles, really wrestles with these issues, not as they go to impact her politically, but as so far as they're useful to protecting the vulnerable and true, right? And I can tell you that is, you know, the people I've met that I've nominated, I met President Trump, I met Steve's my friend, I met Tulsi, so I'm kind of speaking from my experiences knowing them. And I think that Tulsi, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, I know people have criticized her with being like an opportunist who's always looking for publicity. Um, there's such a, a line of consistency in everything she's done her entire career with sort of a radical commitment um, to opposition to the neoliberal, neoconservative war machine that was birthed by her experience at war. And there's been yeah. a severe cost. You know, they when, when she was elected to Congress, the Democrat Party was treating her like their own personal Moana. They were they were talking about her as a future president. They were, you know, she, yeah, she sort of right. had, 
she had a path of gold laid out for her if she was willing to play ball. Hillary loved her, and then she stood up to Hillary, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. I think people should not forget. That's a great reminder that I had forgotten that she was a star. They gave her pride of place at the DNC in, what was it, 2012? And she was first vice chair um, of the DNC, I think, at one point, something like that. She resigned yeah, because so of the fraud that she saw that the Clintons were yeah. using against uh, Bernie. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think that she, you know, uh, clawed her way that to that position either. I think she probably got to that position because she is just so likable. And they thought this is great. This person could probably be president one day because she's so convincing. Uh, but they didn't realize that that wasn't a ploy. That's actually what she's like. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, she's, so, she's so clever, that Tulsi Gabbard. She's exactly who she represents herself to be. That was tricky. That was a slick move. <laughs> yeah. that, was a slick, yeah. that was a slick move there. And I think that there was a real benefit to real human beings from her courage already. I, I really do believe and I've, I've shared this with her, and she laughs, and, and she doesn't even believe me when I say this. So if you don't believe me, she doesn't believe me, but I believe me. I really think mm-hmm. that it was her courage standing up to the war machine that was throwing every trick at the book at us to try to manipulate us into another stupid war in Syria. Tulsi led the way and stopped a war, I really believe. Really Amen. Believe. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. She built a popular because she people also forget this. She she uh, she I believe by rights would be as popular as she would have eclipsed actually Bernie Sanders, who was unbeatably popular were it not for the DNC for its own actually not good reasons sabotaging him. Yeah. Um, she was really she got the Ron Paul treatment though in in 2016. Yeah, but she's tenacious. She's just getting started. She's young, yeah. well, she's and also, tenacious, I, she's just getting started. And she's a warrior. I can tell you I know she's just getting started because I know her call to adventure. She was raised by a great family, taught civic responsibility. None of that was her call to adventure. It was what she experienced in Iraq. They're not going to stop her. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, she's just going to keep moving forward. No way. Yeah. No way. That's beautiful. Well, and, and, and also, by the way, she's she's an emblem of something really important to us. I feel like my theme for this whole show is things not to forget. But here's another thing not to forget. She is credited correctly by many commentators with 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 uh, just undoing Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris at the very beginning of the 2020 primaries on the DNC side, the two worst candidates in the whole lineup were Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And everyone knew it. The DNC, though, does not respect the will of even its own base. But Tulsi Gabbard, single-handedly, in one just incredible right hook uh, at a debate, undid Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris dropped out of the primaries, polling at something like 9%. No one wanted Kamala Harris anywhere near the White House. Tulsi Gabbard got rid of her. Single-handedly, that's awesome. No, the only people. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me interrupt you. Well, I'm just going to say what's incredible is what makes Tulsi emblematic of something important is that she did that, which is something that the Democrats, even Democrat voters, wanted because Kamala Harris is a revolting uh, candidate. And nonetheless, the DNC then 
X'd out Tulsi, gave her the Ron Paul, just erased her, uh, and then shoehorned their Kamala Harris back into the top. It's just so pathetic. Yeah, but that's how it goes. That's why we, we celebrate. That's why Kamala is not on the Thomas Beckett person of the year list. She, she might get to be vice president, no. but that is nothing compared to being on this list. Uh, when it comes to the no. big scheme of things. So she's the loser for real because Tulsi made our list and Kamala didn't. All right. Okay, I think we each get one more person. Who do you who do you got? I think I'm going to steal one from your list again. Uh, stop me if you don't want me to. But I'm thinking of Jimmy. Jimmy Lai. That's my last one. Yeah, to take him because that's good because he's the winner. <laughs> so go. So go. Both of and we're just going to both insert them at the same time. We'll yeah, let's talk about Jimmy Lai. Okay, you go. You tell us why Jimmy Lai. Uh, Jimmy Lai is a capitalist, and uh, and it takes a lot of bravery to be that uh, in China. Yeah, I'm an ideologue. That's my only. That's it. Now, let me tell you why I picked Jimmy Lai. First of all, so I I looked at someone who had a lot to lose, somebody who was close to power, someone who was well formed by their sense of the numinous. They're trans. They didn't have to be Catholic. Like I'm Catholic. Jimmy lies Catholic, but uh, I, I I don't really know how devout Sally is. Um, but I do know he's really is a Muslim. But I do know he's really thoughtful to the law above the laws of man. I know Tulsi is deeply grounded in, in her her faith as a Hindu. Um, I, I know Steve is deeply grounded, but I I think Jimmy Lai of everyone on this list. With the exception of Tulsi, I think Tulsi is very well-formed, very knowledgeable in her faith. But I can say this, I know. Jimmy Lai is a very devout Catholic. So number one, it's his faith. Uh, to let everyone know, because maybe not everyone knows who Jimmy Lai is. He's a, he's, a media, he's a media tycoon in Hong Kong who has really been a leader of standing up to the CCP um, at real cost. He's been arrested twice. He was just let out on bail and is now, uh, I think, on Christmas Eve. He was let on bail. He is on, on house arrest. And he, he's facing very serious consequences. Because he has a big industry, I mean, because he's a, an employer, and he's a prominent person, he has to have courage for more than himself. That's where real courage comes in. You know, my greatest um, lament, Stephen, is that sometimes the things I do hurt other people than myself. Where I put other people, my donors or supporters, public supporters or partners at risk, because I'm saying something to someone in power, right? So if I if I, I have a movie out and I'm speaking and I'm alienating the gods of the city, could it impact the film? Then all my partners in the film. This is where it takes real courage. This is where it's really troubling. Not physical danger. I've been in physical danger before, you know, uh, or at least I, I have had the threats of violence very present to me in some of my work abroad before. That doesn't, to be honest, it didn't scare me. Uh, I had no fear in that. Uh, my real fear comes from uh, when my actions hurt other people with, you know, countless people. Well, can you imagine Jimmy Lai's courage is putting a lot of other people at risk, yet he has to do it. And he's been very articulate and thoughtful in what he's doing. It's not as if he's just acting out of emotion or out of sort of a tribal, uh, uh, sort of a tribal desire for freedom. No, this is a man that is grounded in his Catholic faith. He is standing up to a tyranny, knowing very full well the consequences. 
I, I bet you a lot of the people he has to stand up to are his friends, right? A lot of them are probably yeah. his friends. And all of these great movies yeah. about heroes like um, For Greater Glory, Christiata, about um, the, of the, about the Christeros, you know, those heroes, the closest people to them tried to talk them out of what they were doing. Um, yeah. Franz Jaeger started the closest people to him. I would have to imagine St. Maximilian Colby had brothers, mentors, supporters, donors close to him who tried to talk him out of so aggressively poking the Nazi regime in the eye that was occupying Poland, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Jerzy Popiescu stood up to the KGB. I know because I'm friends with the Popiescu family. That he was in America, touring America, was giving a lot of opportunities to evade being murdered by the KGB. And, and, and people close to him begged him just to tone it down a little bit, like you said. Um, with Jimmy Lyon, everyone should foul this man because the CCP is a menace to Hong Kong, Tibet, Taiwan, to all India, to all of its neighbors, of course, to East Turkestan. The CCP is a menace to all of us. It's a menace to the Han Chinese, the people of China. So Jimmy Lai is standing up to the greatest menace in the world with everything to lose. He's going to lose. I, you know, look, we're going to defeat the CCP. But will, will Jimmy Lai be one of those, those saints that the CCP steps on and shatters itself too? You know, I don't know. Right. Uh, but if I'm... Well, a, yeah, I know. Oh, I'm sorry? Yeah, I was just going to say, he's also, I mean, just to give some perspective here, we mentioned Cardinal Zen earlier, Jimmy Lai's a friend. So he's, he's actually, he's basically, he's giving funding to the enemies of the CCP. And, um, that's, uh, that's, that's like you said, there's, there's not, what I'm getting at is that not only is there a threat from the CCP, but I'm reminded more again of Beckett, uh, because, who, who's his, you know, who's his friend in the Vatican? Is Jimmy Lai doing this so that he can get congratulations from Pope Francis? Because he has to, you see what I'm saying? He has to defy all of the people who have sort of a, uh, a, 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 the ability to give a secular canonization to him. He's defying all of them. He's saying, no, I don't want it. So he's not, he's not going to get any thanks. Yeah, you're right. He, this man has been so successful, he could buy himself all the things he wants from the Vatican, right? He could have struck yeah. a deal with the CCP anytime he wanted. He could mm-hmm. fund organizations that give him prizes, you know? Uh we know you know we know how the deal goes. How the most prominent organizations yeah. No, but but what he, and when the other thing he's doing is not only is he denying the CCP, he's standing up to the neoliberal re- elites. He's standing up to those who money is their God because he has, he doesn't need money. He, he's not worried about, that's not what he's fighting for. He's not even fighting for power. He's, 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 he's fighting just for freedom, religious freedom and political mm-hmm. freedom for his family, friends, his neighbors and his community. And I think Jimmy Lai points to all of us. I don't know about you. When I was a boy, I roamed my neighborhood every day with a little green plastic army hat and my wooden rifle all day, every day. I mean, from the ages of about three until 10. That's where you'd find Jason Jones. 
And I would be in the woods <clears throat> alone, low crawling, imagining I'm you know about to assault a Nazi position because my grandfather fought in World War II, and I'd hear stories, and I'd watch those old movies. And I would lament, you know, in my life, there will never be any evils to fight. Why couldn't I have been born during the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War II? Did you ever think like that as a boy? I think all young boys think like that, right? I think as a little boy I did. And then you become an adult, and you realize we live in a fallen world, and the vulnerable of every age are abandoned. So there is never mm. want. There's never a want for heroes. And, right. And what Thomas Beckett shows us is like St. Maximilian Colby. I don't know if you know this about St. Maximilian Colby. I think this is true about all saints. Like think of St. Francis. I'm guessing. Maybe I, I mean not all saints. I'm general. But for me, it's always the, 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 the drive between warrior, soldier, and saint. And um, you want to fight for your people or you want to be holy for your people. St. Maximilian Colby, I don't, do you know this? He longed to go fight the Russians. This was his thing. As a little, no, I didn't know that. as a little boy, he wanted to go to war. He, the way I was assaulting little Nazi positions, you know, in, in any little right. green patch or park in my neighborhood, uh, he was doing that. But he was assaulting Russian positions. Um, hmm. He saw the Russians as the enemy of the poles of Poland, and so he loved mm -hmm. Poland. But but then eventually, you know, he is a young boy, very thoughtfully said, I want to live the life of a saint for my people. And instead of go to right. war with the enemies of my people, I want to be a missionary and convert the enemies of my people to Jesus Christ. And I right. think that's something else we see with Jimmy Lai. And I think that's why I picked him is he's also somebody who it's Christ centered. It's not about political freedom. It's not about nationalism. It's really about, he sees human beings as creatures made in the image and likeness of God who deserve freedom. Are, are yeah, that's right. Freedom. Yeah. And it's funny. It's great to hear that from a layman. Uh, Jimmy Lai is not a clergyman. But it, it reminds me, too, of you think about how, how does uh, someone like Jimmy Lai view his enemies? And it reminds me of something Cardinal Joseph Zen said just this summer, uh, the year 2020. He, 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 was, he did an interview and someone was asking what his thoughts were on the church that is run by the CCP, right? The, not the underground church that Cardinal Zen is, is staying in solidarity with. But the bishop in Hong Kong, I forget the name of them. And you know what Joseph Zen said? Uh, he said, I pity him. And um, he said he's in an impossible position. And I just, I have so much pity for him. And I wonder if Jimmy Lai might feel that way too, about the, uh, the, China, the, the part of the church that is not underground, that is submitted to the CCP. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know what's so interesting about that? Nietzsche thought of pity is the worst thing. You, you do not want to be pitied. And I think it's because he was pitiful, right? He was a pitiful creature. He knew that. He knew he judged Christians so harshly. And a lot of you and I have talked a lot about this together. Um, a lot of what Nietzsche saw in Christians, we see in Christians, right? It's grotesque. That's right. Yeah. 
Uh, it's yeah. a great task. But, but I think Nietzsche sensed that there was a certain type of well-formed Christian that looked at him and maybe justly pitied him, pitied them. And I, I do think, I do think they are, they are pitiful. They are, they are pitiful. And, you know, I had, mm-hmm. I, I told you about the time when I was, had the unique privilege of having tea with the John Jaweed Al Qaeda affiliate in Sudan, in Darfur. And uh, have I told you, have I told you the story? I think he, I think so, but tell it. So, um, my friend who works in that region said, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you here." The SPLA at the time, it was before Sudan, Sudan's independence, was not happy about it. But my friend convinced him to take me, me and him, and three other guys to this river. Uh, they pulled us across this river on barrels where we went to this community of where the Janjaweed was in control. We met with the commanders. We met with their families. They all had multiple wives. We met their children. And I remember as we were going there, I was prepared to just hate them. You know? Huh. Um, all these thoughts were going through my mind. And then when I met them, I found a lot of, the, uh, I found them almost admirable. And, and but through our conversation, as our conversation went on, some things were said. We were asking them about the raids across the river to the Dinka, and they needed to stop that. We would help them get wells, da da da. But as they began to speak, not as humans, but as mouthpieces of an ideology, I pitied them. Right. You know, within these these men had been captured by an enthusiasm, by an ideology. Not even a real. It was not even really grounded in Islam. It was. It was um, some of the things they were saying about the Dinka, and I just felt really. I, the word is pity. You know, that's Hannah Arant in her Eichmann in Jerusalem was despised for not calling Eichmann a monster. She said, "No, it's, he's worse than a monster. He's pitiful. <clears throat> you know, he's pitiful, and they didn't get that." They were the, the wounds were so raw still from the Holocaust and World War II right. that they wanted Eichmann to be a monster. And she said, no, he's banal. These bishops right, in the official right. church are banal. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they're, they're pitiful, all of them. All of these bishops, Wilton Gregory, banal, pitiful. They're just logs in a river going with the current. Not alive, not spirited, yeah. not thoughtful, not animated with love. Pitiful. But Bishop Strickland right. is animated by love. Jimmy Lai, Tulsi Gabbard, everyone on our list. That, and, and people are going to go, Steve Bannon, I'm going to put in the, Steve, the, the show notes. Steve Bannon, I know it was funny when I was on his show. I had said, so he was, <laughs> ta- he was ta- did you see that? He, he was talking to me about some of the work we did and, and, and how the administration helped with some of the information we provided and protecting some vulnerable communities. And Steve was my guy on that. I mean, this is the guy that was thoughtful about these communities going back to long before he was in politics. When we were in Hollywood, we would talk about genocide and war and democide and da da. Uh, I said, mm-hmm. Steve, you know, I wrote that article with Steve Bannon. I know because the caricature of you is such a joke. It's not even at all related. And he blushed and he, and he said, uh, yeah, but I kind of like the Darth Vader thing, you know, and I guess it is comforting if people are attacking a facade of you, they're not attacking you. If 
it's just some, a caricature of you that has no relationship to reality, it's probably much easier to deal with psychologically than to have people attacking who you really are. So there might be some safety in that. But everyone on this list, I would say, is thoughtful to the other and thoughtless to themselves. And everyone we put on our list are our seeds planted that will bear fruit for our children and our grandchildren. Their trees, the ones grown, once their actions and their courage grow over generations, will provide shade. And so I think that everyone on this list is to be honored. I'm going to put the list in our show notes, Stephen. And, uh, and, and I hope everyone just does their own Google searches on these folks. And most of what you'll find probably right off the bat is like slanderous attacks, which goes to prove our point, right? I mean, if Google was around in uh, the 1100s, probably Thomas Beckett's first 20 searches would be horrible, and he would probably have been deplatformed, right? Thomas Beckett would have most definitely been deplatformed from Twitter in the 1100s, I'm guessing. Yeah, and he also would have been, there would have been a lot of talk in the Catholic media about uh, about what an embarrassment he is. Oh, you just hit the, yeah, Catholic Twitter would be just, it's not what he says, it's how he says it. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> isn't that it? What do they say about, like, people like, what do they say about saints before we canonize them? They say, oh, it's, they're maladjusted, it's not what he says, but how he says it. Um, being, yeah, that's right. Very temporarily. I mean, you can almost you can almost see the, uh, the 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 cheap ballpoint pen ink start to fade as they write, uh, because they're also out of the other side of their mouth talking about how devout Joseph Biden is. Um, and, and this is not you know like you mentioned Beckett's permanent place in history. The fact that he will not die a third death. I don't think Joe Biden is going to be people will people will snap their fingers and try to remember his name. They don't. They, and, but not so uh, Tulsi Gabbard, not so uh, Cardinal Zen, not so Vigano. Wow, that is a really guaranteed the name Tulsi Gabbard, the name Vigano. Those names will live long past Joe Biden. Guar- guaranteed. That's right. Oh, yeah. There'll come a time where only graduate students. At like uh, you know, the first university of Mars, and you're getting your your PhD in um, ancient history on the American Republic. Will even know the name Biden, and he'll be you know they'll be the great presidents they'll know, and then there'll be just this list of names that you have to remember for your your PhD dissertation. And that's it, right? That's no, it. that's right. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Stephen, how do people follow you, and what do you, what do they what do we want people to know about Stephen? Well, I'm Stephen Harriet. I'm a Catholic commentator. You can follow me on Twitter for now um, <laughs> until I follow until I follow uh, all, all of the greats off of the platform. But yeah, I'm I'm at Stephen S T E P H E N H E R R E I D Harriet on Twitter. Oh, I'll I'll put you in Twitter. You, I'm so glad your podcast is off the air because it was the best podcast, and I'm glad I don't have to compete with it because I do ah. I do miss it personally, but I don't want you to compete with me for downloads. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I think I'd probably just end I end up floating face down down a river if I yeah, tried to just, restart the cancel. Hey, Stephen, you know, hey, why are you doing a podcast? Hey, I'm I'm starting a podcast. I think it's time you go. I think it's time you get off the, 
think it's time you shut your podcast down, Stephen. Thanks for warming things up for me. Is that how it went? Is that how our conversation went? Yeah. No, but I do hope you get back on the air in 2021. I think you should put a yellow sticky. I have dyslexia, ADHD, and 800 other undiagnosed problems. And uh, so I have to, I have stickies all over my office. If ever I commit, you know, I'm accused of committing any kind of strange crime, they're going to come into my office and take a picture of my wall with, like these yellow sticky notes, they're going to go, wow, yeah, he's guilty. That guy's nuts. But you should do a yellow sticky note on your wall that just simply says, get back on the air. How about that? All right. All right. Will do. I promise. Do you mean that? Or are you just saying that? Well, actually, I already have that sticky note. It's put up right inside my head. And I think <laughs> of it all the time. Get no. back to it one of these days. No, thank I, you. I do think it was your medium. I mean, you were great. And it was just, it had a, uh, a professionalism. Uh, it was really like this show, you would, no one would ever confuse this with NPR. Your show really had the professionalism and discipline and structure of something like NPR. It was really good. And uh, there's, Thank a, you so much. there's a void. Exactly. Like, there is a void. I, I think everyone, this show, I guarantee you, if my show goes, there will not be another show like it, right? There'll be other great shows. There's great shows. I love Taylor Marshall. Yeah. You guys subscribe to Taylor, and there's so many other great shows. But, but your show is there is not going to be a no. There has there's nothing like what you did. So now there is a big nice. gaping hole, and you need to step back up to the plate, okay, and fill that hole. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's encouraging. And today, here's what I'm doing. I'm about to take my family to the movie theater for the first time since March. So, so I've got to wrap this up. We are going to go see Wonder Woman 1984, which I heard is a horrible movie, but the tickets are $5. And I just want to sit in a theater and eat popcorn. I don't even like Sounds superhero good. movies. I don't even like superhero movies. The only superhero movies I've ever liked was the first Wonder Woman because I'm a World War One buff, and I, I just loved it. it was, I thought it was great. And um, Batman Begins. That's pretty much it. None of them. I didn't like any of the others, ever. Those aren't picks, but they're going to keep. It's the only genre that any longer exists. That's true. So you're going to probably. So yeah, it's either uh, it, if it's uh, in Taika Waititi, he you know he made a good one, so we'll leave it at that. Um, all right, Stephen, <laughs> I'm going to wrap this show up. Have a thank you for being a part of the first annual, um, Thomas Beckett Person of the Year Award Show. You're going to have to come on next. We're going to do this every year. Awesome. Sounds great. I can't wait. Hey, maybe if you get martyred this year, you can make it on the list. Uh, I'll work on it. Yeah. Make sure. Well, only if you promise. I, that's my only. Oh, 100%. Even if it's just an IRS thing, I'll still, I'll still, uh, <laughs> even if you're in prison for something with the IRS, I'll still Does it consider. Count it? Huh? Yeah. It doesn't just the IRS and I refuse to give no, them anything, anything that involves the IRS, ATF, FBI, CCP, anything. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the list. Okay? Nice. All right, Stephen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Bye. All right, guys. Let me put mute there um, so we don't hear him hang up. This has been uh, a special show for me because we got to talk about people I greatly admire. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is The Joe Rogan Show. If you listen to the Joe Rogan show, one of the things you'll notice is he has mastered the art of admiration, and that's something I really want to master. And we are surrounded 
by beautiful people today. Our, 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 our world, every world, you know, every time is filled with pe- people like Thomas Beckett, Jersey Popescu, Maximilian Colby, right? Jimmy Lai. Every age has people like this. You just, we have to have eyes to see. It's easy to see heroes that have been canonized, right? Um, and even most of, most of the heroes, uh, uh, there, were, there were cohorts of, of St. Thomas Beckett's. We don't know, but they were heroes. And so every age has great heroes. Our job is to see them, to admire them, and become more than admirers, but become cohorts. So how about this year we become cohorts with Jimmy Lai? We become cohorts with Sally Hudiah, Cardinal Zen. We become cohorts with everyone that is shouldering the burden of human freedom, shouldering the burden of protecting our posterity from tyranny and violence. That's my New Year's resolution for 2021, that I will be more disciplined and intentional in my work to serve the vulnerable. And that only makes sense because I am the founder of Movie to Movement and the Vulnerable People Project. They sponsor this show. Uh, Make sure you go to thegreatcampaign.org. It is the end of the year. And I have about three days now. I have three days now to meet a matching grant. We have a $15,000. We're halfway there. Uh, We have never fundraised as aggressively as we have this year because we never had so much work. We never had so many bills. And all of us have never had so much hardship. So if you can, go to thegreatcampaign.org and support the Vulnerable People Project and our work to advance the interest of the vulnerable from the child in the womb to those activists in Hong Kong, to the Uyghur and Chinese-occupied East Turkestan, to the Nuba in the mountains of Sudan. Uh, follow our work. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see how much we do. Follow my writing at the stream. I have a new article out today. I will put it in the show notes. Uh, but if you go to thegreatcampaign.org, you become a monthly donor, a donation of $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book, The Race to Save Our Century. I wrote with John Zmirak. This book maps out an outline to break the shackles of the Great Reset and to get back to a better normal, a normal, not tyranny, but normal freedom. Although freedom's not normal, right? It's just normal for us. What's our normal is not normal. So let's get back to that, uh, thegreatcampaign.org. This episode is also being brought by uh, MyPillow.com. And I, um, I have to confess, I don't have my pillow anymore. We ordered some new ones. They're on the way. My children took my pillows, right? We've got the Giza Dream sheets, which I love. And the mattress topper, which is the best. Because the mattress topper is soft, it's plush, it hugs you. I have a bed that costs more than my first three cars. Not my first three cars combined, but my first three cars. This bed I own costs more than that. But I put the mattress topper on it, thinking we weren't going to use it. It's perfect. I could have just got the mattress topper. And I'm getting a lot of emails from you folks that you've ordered the mattress topper and you're thanking me, you're welcome. It is a privilege. And the pillow, you need to know, you already know, they don't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want and they maintain their shape. They're made in the USA. And if you don't have a MyPillow or you know someone who doesn't, now is the time. 
because Mike is offering these premium pillows. Are you ready for this? For $29.95. We had some friends over the other day, and this young girl, 14 years old, uh, her parents came over wearing my pillow. I'm sorry, wearing the Jason Jones Show t-shirts. Oh, we're big fans of your show. And I said, you know, are you excited about my pillow? And, and then the daughter said, I wish I had my pillow, but they're too much. They're $70. And I said, not with the code Jones. And right there, she took out her phone, clicked on mypillow.com, hit the radio user box, and she put in Jones right there. She put in the code Jones, and she got that she couldn't believe that it was $29.95 for a $70 pillow. And the smile on her face, which went, which was just proof to me, which I've been telling you, there is no better gift in the world than a MyPillow gift. The pillows, the bathrobes, the slippers, or as we say in Hawaii, the slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the code Jones, get all your gifts, and get yourself a pillow. All right, guys. Until next time, maybe until next year, I'm going to try to get a few more shows in. It's just, uh, it's a busy time of the year for us. Um, But until next time, this has been the Jason Jones Show. Remember, to be in solidarity with the vulnerable, to be in solidarity with the vulnerable, is to be vulnerable. And Jimmy Lai demonstrated, a lot of the people on our list demonstrated it because they ended up in jail. So let's be vulnerable. Then we know. Truly in solidarity. All right. Aloha. The Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Ooh.